Well, Jesus, he, he loves his church, which means he loves you. He loves you and he cares about it so much. And so when we think about what we're doing in the book of Romans, we need to realize this is God's heart coming into the book of Romans. So when we think about the Bible being inspired, it's not inspired like Mozart was inspired or uh, maybe Picasso was inspired. No, these are people that were moved by the Holy Spirit to give us the very heart of God. And so we're in a section in Romans that's really talking about the kind of church that Jesus wants. But let me just flip that into a question. What kind of church do you want to attend? What do you want to see in the church that you find yourself a part of? Is it not true that we want and long for a community of people where there's peace, right? There's, there's a, a flourishing of shalom among the people. Don't we want a church where there's unity, where, where people are genuinely getting along, not by living in the surface, but by being honest with each other, being transparent about the issues of life. That's what Romans is doing. So when we got to chapter 12, we turned a corner. And in chapter 12 of Romans, Paul starts addressing how believers should live. How should we be acting and interacting, not only with each other, but with the world? Well, today we're in Romans chapter 14. If you have a Bible, would you open with me? If you have a device, I want to encourage you to get it. If you have neither this morning, there's some Bibles on the chairs. And what I want to encourage you is to open up to Romans chapter 14 so that you can see it for yourself, recognizing these are words penned by the Apostle Paul, but they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God moved him to pen these words. If you're able to stand, could I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word? We're in Romans 14, verse 13. It reads, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died." Therefore, do not let what you know is good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. 
Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do, to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. Father, what a powerful, powerful word you have for us today. But God, we're going to need our minds to be engaged in these truths so that we can see how they apply to our lives. God, would you give us ears to hear? Would you open our eyes to not our neighbor's life right now? Would you open our eyes to our own lives that we might be aligned with you, your heart, and your will? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Grab a seat. And what we want to do, of course, is, is dive into this, this passage of Scripture, but maybe it would just take a little bit, a moment here to say, what did we do last time, right? So we were in chapter 14, verses 1 to 12, and we, we find out that there's this idea of, of two groups of people, some weak in faith and some strong in faith. And as soon as you say weak in faith, Every one of us here says, well, I don't want to be weak in faith, right? I mean, nobody wants to be called weak in faith, right? But, it, but it's laid out here in Scripture. And in chapter 14, verse 1, it begins this way, right? Accept, just, just receive, welcome. No, let me make it a little stronger. Embrace the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. And then what Paul does in chapter 14, the first 12 verses, he, he begins to shift a little bit, and he's addressing both, the strong in faith and the weak in faith. He, he's kind of merging, but there's a little bit of an emphasis on the weak in faith. Today, he's going to shift that. Now, Remember what we said, because this is really important that we understand who the weak in faith are. The weak in faith, we said, were uh, faith-filled Christians. These were not Christians that didn't trust in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. These were women and men that came out of most likely this Jewish context. They were converted Jews, or we today we would use the phrase messianic Jews, right? So they come out of Judaism and they see Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah and they put their trust in him. So if you read the book of Galatians, for example, notice that the Apostle Paul there confronts the Galatians and said, who has bewitched you? You fools, you are changing one gospel for another. But that's not the case here in Romans. They have embraced the true gospel. What they are doing, though, is on a journey with some confusion in their understanding. So the weak were faith-filled Christians, but they missed the full freedom or the full impact of Christ's work on the cross. Now, let me just pause right here. Do you know how exciting this is, the gospel of Jesus Christ? 
It, it's, it's not tied to a city. It's not tied to a location. What happened with the unleashing of the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ died to break the power of sin, right? To cancel the power of death over us. Jesus died on that cross. And anyone, doesn't matter what ethnic group you come from, it doesn't matter what part of the world you are in, it doesn't matter whether you're male or female, it doesn't matter how smart you are or how limited you are in intelligence, it doesn't matter if you came out of another religion. The gospel is unshackled because it can go anywhere in the world. It's not tied to anything and that's exciting. And so what was happening in the church at Rome was they didn't realize the full impact of the gospel, that it was meant to spread because they were getting tied to some of the Jewish customs of their day, out of which they came. But all of us come out of different traditions. And so that was the struggle. So the strong in faith in this passage were brothers and sisters that realized the freedom in Christ. But what happens with freedom? Sometimes people flaunt it. Sometimes people hurt other people. So the weak would look at the strong and judge them. Now, do you want a church that you walk into and people are judging you? Of course not. No, you could say it a little louder. No, we don't, right? Nobody wants a church where people, oh, they may not say anything, but they kind of glance over and they're like, hmm right? Nobody wants that. But then the, the others, the strong, they would look down. And, and so it created a different kind of judgment. And so Paul says, stop passing judgment on each other. But before we di- dive even a little deeper into the section of today, just remember what we talked about last time. God is our judge, right? There's some things we need to know. God is our judge. Stop judging other believers. It's a time to stop. It's a time to just call time out. God will take care of it. That's what we mean. He's judged. That's what Paul was teaching us. Secondly, that we need to genuinely accept one another. And the reason we accept one another is because God accepts us. Now, why does he accept us? Because you're all that? Say no. No, he accepts us because of his son, Jesus Christ. And so think of it this way. The son walks into the throne room of his father and says, hey, this daughter is mine. And the father just gives a big smile, a nod and says, yeah, she's in the family, right? So Jesus has done that for you. He is, is this mediator. He, he comes in and he steps between you and the wrath of God that we talked about earlier in Romans and he, and, he, and he puts a shield there and he says, Father, this one is mine. She is blood-bought. She will be with us for eternity. And the Father, you know, puts the seal of the Spirit. He adopts you into the family. And it's a beautiful picture. And so we need to genuinely accept each other. So let's just flesh this out a little bit. If you're married and your wife or your husband is a Christ follower, the first way you should look at your spouse is this is a brother in Christ. This is a sister in Christ. That changes 
the way you relate. Now, why does it change? Because all of a sudden, you're messing with the king's daughter. You're messing with the king's son. It's not your husband. It's not your wife first. Certainly, we have these relationships. But it's not going to be there in heaven. But you'll always be, for eternity, a son or a daughter of the king. So we need to genuinely accept each other. By the way, if you have believing children, you look at them and you say, whoa, this son of mine is a son of the king. He's a brother in the Lord. That begins to shift how you, it should shift, how you think and how you relate to them. And then thirdly, Christians can be right with God that notice it's bold, all caps. What I'm trying to say here is that you've been declared right with God, not because you're all that, but because of the work of Jesus Christ, you have been declared right with God, and we have differences with each other. Now, these are not moral differences Paul's talking about. He's talking about cultural differences. So he's very, very concerned about how these Christians in the church at Rome, these house churches that we talked about, are connecting with each other. So now we're ready to dive into verses 13 to 23. And the first idea here is do not uh, defend or, or do not offend or destroy the weak in faith. Now he's speaking to the strong in faith in the church. And he's saying just because you're free, just because you understand the full impact of the gospel, it does not give you a right to trample on my children. Do not offend them or destroy them. Let me read that again. Let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind. Make up your mind. Decide today not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of your brother or sister. So this phrase, stop passing judgment, means stop condemning one another. If you're weak in faith, stop condemning the strong. If you're strong in faith, stop condemning the weak. And then he says, you need to determine. You need to decide today. Now he's speaking to the strong in faith, not to put a stumbling block or an obstacle. Those two words, stumbling block and obstacle, they're different words, but they're essentially synonymous. Don't become a barrier to someone's faith. Now, I want you to picture this, right? In the spring, some of us, we see the greenhouses, right? And they start getting active, and these young plants are starting to grow in these greenhouses. And then what do we do? We, we bring them out into the world, and we need to treat them with tenderness, if you, if you don't, what happens to these tender growing things? They die, don't they? they? They just die. They wither. That's kind of the picture that we begin to see here. Remember in Matthew 18, Jesus is, is teaching, and, and you, you can get this picture, right? Jesus is sitting down like most rabbis or teachers did in the first century, and, and parents were bringing their children. And the children were, were kind of sitting right there in the circle, and he'd bring the children. Now, Jesus is a master teacher. I mean, like, if you can teach like Jesus, like, that, that's an accomplishment. So Jesus is bringing these children, and, and he's talking about causing one of them to stumble. 
Now, he wasn't in that section for those that have eyes to see. For those that really understand what Jesus was teaching, he wasn't concerned only about little kids. He wasn't concerned just about children. What was he concerned about? Anyone, adult or child, that is a follower of his. He's using children as an example because they're so tender, they're so innocent, they're vulnerable. And what does he say? If you cause one of these to stumble, it would be better for you that a millstone would be tied around your neck and you're thrown into the deepest sea. I mean, like, whoa, Jesus, calm down. Like, but what he's doing is using a strength of a picture to show you and me how serious it is to hinder someone's faith. And we see this all the time in our culture. We see celebrities, they come to faith, and they're tender in their faith. They're young, they're vulnerable, and people expect them to say everything that a mature believer would say. They expect them to live like a mature believer, but they're not there yet. But they've just spoken up about their faith. I remember back, I had just become a believer a couple years. There was a singer, his name was B.J. Thomas. Some of you might know him. He became a Christ follower. But he said some things publicly. He did some things and people started, Christians started scratching their head. They're sort of like, whoa, is he really a Christ follower? Yeah, he was, but he was young. You know, that drove him away. It drove him away from the church and Christians for years. And I don't know that he ever came back because of the judging and the condemnation that comes through this. We need to realize that when Jesus Christ came to this world, he came for people like you and me, and he cares about every one of them. The depth of the human condition that's laid out in Romans, the early chapters, we need to see is that God is redeeming people. He's changing them by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he's concerned about his children. He's concerned about you. He loves you. He adores you. He bought you with the blood of his son. He sealed you in the spirit and he adopted you. I mean, the list of things go on and on of what he's done for you. You are precious. And so we need to realize we need to be careful. So we need to stop passing judgment. Let's look at verse 14. I am convinced, Paul writes, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus Christ that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. I want to start with the bottom half of that verse, though. It says, if anyone regards something as unclean. Now, that word unclean is really a term that Jews would use when they were talking about things in their law, their ceremonial type things that they would not participate in or that they recognize that they shouldn't. So let me give some examples. Many of us know that there's certain kosher foods, right? There's certain foods that are acceptable to the Jewish community and some that are not. And so what they would say is those that are not acceptable, that's unclean. Or 
they would say things like there are certain days that should be observed. The Sabbath is a holy day, right? So you can read the Ten Commandments, but we hear this. And so what happens with the coming of Christ and his death and resurrection? The day of worship shifts, doesn't it? It shifts from Saturday to the first day of the week, Sunday, because of the resurrection being on a Sunday. But some people think, well, you can only worship or you have to be on church. And I remember I lived in the time when uh, churches were starting to do Saturday night services, Friday night services, and a bunch of Christians were like, you can't do that, right? You've got to be on Sunday morning. Well, that's a ceremonial thing, but the Jews had all these different things. And so this is what the word unclean means. So it's these these things that aren't acceptable. Now, as best as we know, at the church at Rome, they were using in a common meal, you know how churches would come together today for a potluck? They would come together because they were in house churches. They would have meals and they would sometimes get meat that was sacrificed to idols at a different temple. And so what would happen? They would purchase this meat because it had already been sacrificed. It was good meat. And some of the Jewish Christians were saying, wait a minute, you can't eat that meat. Sometimes there was wine that was used as part of the sacrifice and the unused wine could be purchased. And the Christian, Jewish Christians said, wait a minute, you can't use that wine. You can't drink that wine. That's unclean. That meat is unclean. And so these were the kinds of disputes that were going on. And so it says anyone, though, that regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. Pause right there and think about what that's saying. There's some things in our culture that some people think that are cultural things that should not be done. Let me give a, an example I've come across because it's, it's a little bit crazy, but it'll make the point. So Dr. Donald Barnhurst tells this story. Uh, this was in the 1920s, and he had some women that uh, were coming to him as a pastor, and these women were really upset. And I, I, they were upset about the young people, the young people in the church, and guess what they were doing or weren't doing? They weren't wearing stockings. And these older women came to him and said, you got to get these women confronted. you you got to call them out. This is sinful. So he looks at these older women and he says, well, let's just pause for a moment and let's remember the history of stockings. And so as best as we know, somewhere around the time of the Renaissance in the 15th century, women started wearing stockings. Prior to that, there's not really a record of that being a thing. But guess who was wearing the stockings? Prostitutes. (laughs) So these women are coming and saying, these young people need to be wearing stockings, not knowing some of the history of it. Right? Those are cultural, those are custom kind of things. And what Paul is saying is, if someone thinks that you got to be wearing stockings, then wear stockings. Now, this is going to go deeper, and I don't want you to lose, get lost here. In our culture, we have lost an appreciation for the conscience. 
we have so seared the conscience, we don't know what is right or wrong. And we just listen to all the voices in our culture and we say, hey, don't do this, do this. And it's a mess out there. Nobody's really listening to God. So I'm going to give you a phrase that I often think about, and it's this. The will decides, but the conscience dictates. The conscience should be shaped by the Word of God, and it should give us a thing. But we need to realize what Paul is saying here. If anyone regards something in their conscience then let them regard it as they think about it. If they regard it as clean, it should be clean. And we're not talking about moral issues here. We're talking about cultural or ceremonial things. Their conscience should not be broken, nor should yours. This is what our country's been built on when we talk about freedom of religion. It's built on conscience, that we should be able to exercise our conscience. And that's what was happening here, was there was this, the strong in faith were trying to break the conscience of the weak in faith. And Paul is saying, slow down. So then he says, I am convinced, the first part of the verse, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Nothing is unclean. Paul is aligning himself now with the strong in faith and saying, I know because of what Jesus taught. I know because of what is in the word of God through Jesus that nothing is unclean. That is the ceremonial or cultural things. Well, let's take a moment and look at the divisive issue, and then look at what Jesus had to say. The divisive issue is there's the weak in faith, right? And so we've already been talking about the weak in faith. I know it says waif, but we mean faith. And it's judged, though, they were judging those who felt the freedom to eat meat, right? They were judging those who said, hey, we don't have to observe certain days. And they were judging those that were buying or drinking this wine that was used in these uh, other ceremonies. But then there is the strong in faith. Now, I wrote it this way, and it's going to be a little bit confusing, but I wanted to drive home a point. The strong in faith looked down on those whose freedom they had um, led them to not eating meat. Now, notice how I said that. They have their freedom too. The faith that the weak in faith, they're exercising their freedom of conscience too. But they're saying, don't eat meat. They're saying, you've got to observe certain days. And they're saying, don't drink this wine that was used in sacrifice. So this is where the division is. This was the conflict. Some would eat, some would not eat. Some would observe days, some would not observe days. Some would drink the wine, some would not drink the wine. And it caused division in these cultural ceremonial ways. But let's take a moment and look at what Jesus said in Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, verse 14 and 15, it says, Again, Jesus called the crowd and, and said to them, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them. Nothing outside can defile them. But understand this right into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. It's, 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 it's what comes out that is the defiling element, not what comes in. Verses 17 to 19, I skipped 16. And after he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Now notice the disciples, they want to know. They're like, Jesus, let's dig deeper into this issue, right? Are you so dull, Jesus says to them? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, 
but into their stomach. You eat the meat sacrificed to idols, what happens? It goes into your stomach. It doesn't go into your heart. What happens if you drink that wine? It goes into your stomach. It doesn't go into your heart. That's Jesus' point. It's, it's a pretty simple one, right? But he goes on and says, then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared that all foods are clean. Now the Pharisees were up in arms, you know, and that's why they wanted to kill him. But he's making his point. Verses 20 to 23, Jesus drives it right into the heart, right? Jesus went on and says, what comes out of the person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, right? Adultery, greed. Isn't this what Jesus taught in his Sermon on the Mount? He said, it's when, when you lust after a woman, you've already committed adultery. Why? Because it's coming from the heart. He says, if you're angry with someone, you've already committed murder. Why? Because it's coming from the heart. Do you see how serious this is? Do you see the weight of walking with Christ? Do you see what's happening in our culture today and what's happening in our homes and our families? It's that there's all this stuff swimming around and it's because Christians don't take what Jesus says seriously. Let me, let me go a little further. He goes on, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. So when I asked you earlier, what kind of church do you want to be? I hope, I hope none of us are talking about something that is external. I hope we're talking about we want to be people that are so radically changed from the inside that there's a kindness that flows out of us. A freedom that we're willing to enjoy but willing to give away too for the sake of love and unity. Right? I mean, this is something coming from the heart. That's the church I want to be a part of. That's where I want to be is where people are genuine and honest and saying, you know, I'm really struggling today with loving my spouse or not being angry with so-and-so or lashing out at my boss and I'm really going down deep, right? I mean, it's time for the Christians to recognize these kinds of things that, that are going on, that Jesus wants a church that's real and genuine. So now as we look at it, let's start going where he starts application. Here's the, the, the second point, verse 19, it, it says this, it says, verse 19, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. We need to drive deep into this mutual edification. So here's my second point. Make every effort to live in peace and unity. Make every effort. Now the Holy Spirit's working right now. The Holy Spirit is stirring hearts. And you need to ask yourself, like I have to ask myself, where do I injure peace in my marriage? Where do I injure peace in my family? Where do I injure peace in the church? Now all of us know, all of us know that through COVID, the church went after each other like crazy. But can I just say, I am so proud of our elders and how they handled it. Remember we're talking about cultural 
and ceremonial issues. We know there were strong opinions on both sides of this equation. On all sides, right? There were political issues. The winds were blowing. We're getting emails. We're getting phone calls. We're getting everything. And I'm so proud because you're going to see how the elders started to deal with it. And I want to show you this picture. So as we think about it, there's the weak in faith, right? Now, I'm not going to decide who's weak in faith. We've already talked about it in this passage. So on one hand, you have people viewing vaccinations, you have viewing shutting down churches, you have viewing all kinds of political stuff that we're swirling around, and the list gets long, right? And then there's the strong in faith. I'm not putting anyone in a camp, and the elders never put anybody in a camp. The elders never said this group of people is right, this group of people is wrong. They had their opinions, and we discussed it at length, and everybody was like swimming around, But here's what the elders did so well. They put a circle around both. And they said, we want unity in this community. So it wasn't a matter of us judging where someone came down. We recognize that God loves unity. Do you remember in Jesus' prayer on the last night he was on this earth. You know what he prayed for? For us? Now why do I say he prayed for us? Because he said I not only pray for my disciples right now, I pray for everyone who believes because of them. And for the next 2,000 years people have been believing because of the testimony of the disciples. So you and I are here in part because of their testimony. So here's what Jesus prayed. He prayed, Father, may they be one like we are one. A lot of stones were being thrown in a lot of directions. We place too a high value on our freedom, though, sometimes. We need to be careful. And the strong in faith in this church in Rome, they were putting too much value and they were injuring those with tender faith. So, let me look as I wrap up, verse 22 and 23. Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. doesn't mean you can't talk about it. It means don't flaunt it. So if you are eating the meat sacrificed to idols, you don't need to flaunt it. You don't need to put it out there on YouTube. You don't need to put it out there in this platform or that platform, right? You don't have to launch it on Facebook and you don't need to harp on all these things. There comes a time when you just listen to the Word of God Whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. So there's freedom of conscience where Paul is going. Verse 23, but whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat. Because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. So if your conscience says, do this, then you should do that. And it's a faith decision. And you don't want to violate that. That's what Paul's talking about in terms of conscience and where he's going. So as we look at this this morning, let me just read verses 14b, 15, chapter 14, verse 15, the second part of it again. He says this, Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Now we're going to the Lord's Supper now. 
And remember what these elements signify. They signify the bread unity. It's the body of Christ. So I want to pause right now, and I want you and myself just to ask, is there someone, is there someone that I have broken fellowship over? There's a breach in this relationship, and I need to work on this. Because when you eat that bread, what you're saying is, I want to be unified in the body of Christ. Deeply personal. Let me pray, and then we'll go into the Lord's Supper together. Father, would you right now, by your Spirit, speak to each person here. Relationships are hard. They're difficult. But Jesus died. His body was broken. His blood was shed so that we could be one. Father, would you speak through your spirit to everyone here and just show them if there's someone they need to do something with to make right. Father, would you, by your spirit, make it clear what you would have us do. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. All of us should have received the elements as we came in. And as the Holy Spirit speaks, we need to be mindful that Jesus, His body was broken, right? And that's what He did. On the night that He was betrayed, He broke the bread. But His goal, His aim in His body being broken was to bring it back together you and me in unity. So as often as you eat it, do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. Same night, he took the cup and he said that this cup was to establish a new covenant. A covenant established in His blood. It's through this blood that He's making all things new. It's through His blood that He is changing us because He wiped away our sins conquered death this is the best word that we have in our culture today that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty of sin so that we might live forever as often as you drink this do this in remembrance of me let's take it together Father we thank you We thank you for your word. We thank you that you not only asked us to live in unity, you modeled it and your son prayed for it. And then you told us how to deal with these issues. Father, may we walk in the truth of your word, the power of your word to be the people that you've called us to be because you're making all things new. 
pray in Jesus' name. Amen.